and greetings from uh, the Bethany Church family. I said to someone a little bit earlier, I really wish I could have brought them all today. And uh, they could have been here. Uh, you all are near and dear to our hearts, and I don't say that lightly. Um, our Calvary family is uh, special to us. We have some folks who, uh, we still have some longtime members who go way back and, and know some, and many of you all, and know the history. And then we have our share of newer folks. Uh, newer folks who likewise um, are grateful for the partnership. Uh, can I see any of my Volt team, uh, those from the Volt team? I got a, got a few of them here today? Well, I praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for uh, not only for those men, but their, their families and uh, who uh, support and uh, allow them to venture and take risk <laughs> like they took a risk to, uh, to be there and do such a great job. Um, I, again, I, could, I cannot put in words the gratitude of our congregation. Uh, and uh, I say our congregation, not only those who are regular attenders, but we consider many of the young people who are regular attenders at our after-school programs and so forth as part of our congregation. And I mentioned to someone earlier, a week or so after we let the kids in and they saw the new gym, I'm walking through a, a store or mall or so, and uh, some kids who graduated a few years ago came running over to me and said, wow, we saw, your new, we saw the new gym. I said, how did you see it? They said, the, the other kids were putting it all on social media. And they said, it just looks so awesome. So, so we're very grateful. Um, thankful to be here. As again, I got here the week of September 11th. And uh, I think it was the, a week or so after that tragedy, Calvary hosted a uh, service for um, several of the Bible-believing churches in the area. And I remember that was a significant moment for me, as well as uh, our church and, and our churches. So very grateful to be here again in your pulpit. I'm going to try to be uh, uh, brief. Uh, those at my church know I am not generally very brief, but uh, turn with me to Job chapter 42. And as you're settling in there to Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 9, I want to ask for God's favor again upon our time. And the word, great and mighty God, we thank you for your faithfulness to your people. You are a good and a merciful God, and your pursuit after us is very real. And so we ask now as we come to the living word that in you would, in a very real way, you would anoint afresh your word, that it would de indeed be living word that would minister to the depths of our hearts and our soul. Have your way amongst us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Job chapter 42, Job chapter 42, and uh, I'll read a few of the verses as we, we go along, but we've titled this, The Value of an Eternal Perspective. Uh, the Value of an Eternal Perspective. Uh, it, is, it is easy to lose sight of a godly perspective. Um, whether you're just became a Christian yesterday, or you've been a Christian for many, many years. It, uh, it's humbling to think sometimes how easily, apart from the grace of God, we can lose sight of a godly perspective. Uh, it really does take God's grace to, to sustain and help us maintain the right perspective. Um, 
be married 25 years. I'll be married 25 years uh, this month in a couple of weeks. And uh, I'm, I'm humbled by how quickly sometimes, not only myself, but others who've been married as long as I have and even longer, we can uh, lose sight of the godly perspective on marriage, not merely as marriage, as a comfort and convenience. You know, the longer I'm married, the longer the more I think, marriage is supposed to be comfortable and convenient, right? And uh, we can lose, lose sight of, of uh, how marriage is a covenant, that even when our, our love and our sacrifice is not reciprocated at the level we, we think it should be, that uh, we have an opportunity in that covenant to reflect the redeeming grace of God in Christ Jesus. I know that, I preach that, I counsel that way. I'm humbled not only at my own self, but people who have think, you've been listening to me preach for 10, 15 years. And sometimes when they're going through their trials, I'm like, did you hear anything I say? I must be the worst preacher in the world because you have no perspective in this moment of trial. It's, it's so easy to lose sight of a godly perspective that life is a vapor. Hmm? Isn't that what the Lord tells us there in the book of James? Life is a vapor. It's a vapor. And I need to live with that, that tension that this world is not my home. This world is not our home. It's so easy to, to lose sight that we are stewards, not owners. We are stewards, not owners of our family, of our friends. Hmm? I think about, you know, when, when uh, my wife went into crisis, it just, just, just came to mind as you just reminded me of that season. I can just remember in that moment when my wife went into her second crisis in pregnancy and it looked like she might be losing the child. And I ran to dial 911 in the ambulances. And I remember just my heart racing tension. And, and I've never heard God speak audibly, but just as close as I've ever could come to hearing God speak, I just, it, the words came over me and just came as real in my mind and spirit that you own nothing. And I heard God say that to me. And just like that, I went, I just had total peace. You owe nothing. God set me free in that moment. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I just got to, you owe nothing. Your life is in me. But it's so easy to lose perspective that we're, we're stewards. We're not owners of family. We're not owners of our friends. We're not owners of our money. We're not owner of our possessions, our health. Our time, God has given us a stewardship. But oh, how easy we can lose perspective. In our text today, Job chapter 42, the last chapter, the summary chapter in, in the book of Job, so I just want us to glean two truths that can help us, I believe, maintain a godly perspective in every circumstance. Glean two truths that can help us maintain a godly perspective in every circumstance. First is, first truth is that we will answer to God by the blood of Jesus. I want to read verses 1 through 4 now. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. 
I will question you and you shall answer me. And Job replies, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. First truth that can help us maintain a godly perspective in every circumstance is to remember that we will answer to God by the blood of Jesus. We will answer to God by the blood of Jesus. It's, 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 uh, we need to be reminded in a day and age like ours, Job chapter 1, and we take it for granted, but uh, some of you all know uh, uh, God has asked Job from chapter 38 uh, through, through chapter 41 here, God has asked him 77 questions. After Job had spent many chapters, many months, we know uh, early on in the book of Job, we know that he was sick and he says it had been for months the boils in his body, on his body. He has lost 10 children. He has lost all of his wealth. And now God comes and asks him 77 questions. And we get here to chapter 42. Then Job replied. Some of your Bibles might say Job answered. He had to give an answer. God says, answer me, Job. And, and you and I aren't moralists, so when we come to the book of Job, we, we, we we're Christ-centered. So we know Job is a, is a lamppost, if you will. To, to light, even though he's Old Testament, and we believe Job has lived at the time of Abraham, so he didn't have the Bible you and I had, he didn't have the stories of, of, of David and so forth, all the things that you and I have in the Old Testament, but we believe he is a, he is a lamppost, if you will. The book of Job is a lamppost to, to lighting our path ultimately to Jesus. He's in a sense, the book of Job in a sense, and the life of Job in this, this great story, and this true story, Job, in a sense, is the GPS voice saying, and, and Israel missed this, the children of Israel missed this in their interpretation, that it, it's, it's GPS voice, in a sense, saying, turn here, turn here at the suffering servant. If you're going to understand your Messiah, they needed to realize he was going to be a suffering servant. Job was a innocent, in his mind, and an innocent ser suffering servant. He cried out to God. Christ Jesus would be the actual, the innocent, suffering servant. But why the children of Israel missed Jesus is as their Messiah, as they did not lay hold of the fact that the Messiah would be a suffering servant. So just want to make sure I get that out front, that we're not, we're not, this isn't just a, a good book with a good moral story, as many folks think of Job, but it's not a, not a fable, it's, it's the gospel in a nutshell. That an infinite, holy God, when he shows up in the whirlwind, in chapter 38, after Job and his three friends, and then the fourth friend, all the questioning, all the wondering, and heaven is silent. But now when God shows up, and the gospel in a nutshell, an infinite, holy God, at great expense to himself, right? He empties Job of all his wealth, all his family, and all the blessings. His servant, a picture of the gospel, our, our, our God becoming flesh in Christ Jesus, and the gospel is an infinite holy God at great expense to himself, empties himself, empties Job here of all the wealth, all his family, and at great risk to his own glory, Right? And Christ Jesus coming at great risk to God's own glory, the gospel, right? 
Job, you and I know what Job doesn't know in this story at the beginning, that Satan comes and he questions not only the servanthood, not only the character of Job, but he ultimately is questioning the glory of God. Of course he serves you. I mean, you got him in a witness protection program, he essentially says to him. But you let me test him, and you'll find out your glory ain't all you think it is. He won't cherish it. At great risk to his own glory, God says he exposes his servant, his faithful servant. Job, not perfect, but he's faithful, exposes him to Satan's arsenal of temptations. And we get, we get, a, we get a foretaste, we get a hint of our Savior, right? Jesus, pointing us to Jesus ultimately, right? The, the Father's glory, at great risk to the Father's glory, right? Think about it. The Father's glory, John chapter 17, what does Jesus cry out right prior to going to the cross? Father, the hour has come. Glorify your, your son that he might glorify thee. In the hour he's going into the greatest suffering where he will essentially be abandoned, if you will. The father will turn his back. It's there that the father's glory will most be displayed if his servant stays obedient, stays faithful. An infinite holy God at great expense to himself, at great risk to his glory, Jesus, think about it, in the Garden, of, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, the Father's glory. Father, if there's any way, if there's any way to, for you to be glorified, take this cup away. Nevertheless, hmm? nevertheless, for your glory's sake, for your name's sake, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. The Father's glory And then if we're going to be encouraged and glean truths that can help us maintain a godly perspective, again, realizing that we're going to answer to God by the blood of Jesus, unveiled. In a day and age, again, where um, opinion polls, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm as guilty as maybe some of you are. I have to, if I don't put myself on a diet, I will, on a television and, and media diet, not just television, but anything, I, I, the opinion polls, I find myself quoting, you know, I'm, a, I'm an economics major, so I like statistics and so forth, and, and what the opinion poll says, the market, I, you know, I, stock market value, you can just get so caught up sometimes in opinion polls and stock market values and positions and titles and creature comforts, none of which matter. When that day comes, in a day, in a day and age where, where I, you know, therapy is, is what everybody wants, and it's so easy just to mix the gospel so much with therapeutic talk because we want to help people, that I find myself challenged and, and have to have a, a jolt by God and the courage sometimes to say to folks, you know, I don't, I don't know if God's going to get you out of that or not, but the gospel is the most important news in the universe because you're going to stand one day unveiled in the presence of a holy God. And you're going to have to give an answer. You're going to have to give an answer. But for those who've been saved through the finished work of Christ, the blood of Jesus has already answered for us. Matthew 12, verse 36, you think about it, Jesus there, when he's going back and forth with the Pharisees, he says, 
He has to say to the folks, those who are outside of Christ, you're going to give an account for every word that ever came out of your mouth. If you don't know, and I, that scares me to death. I mean, I've, I've said to some people, I mean, I had, in high school, I, I was, I had learned to be, a, to be quite a jokester and everything else, and, and I'm thinking, man, if I had to give an account for every word. The blood of Jesus answers for us. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 10, through 10. If you know the sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me, the Son of God. But a body you have prepared. I have come. This is Christ. These are the words of Christ. I have come to do your will, O God. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering. We have been sanctified. The blood of Jesus has answered for us. Maintaining that perspective. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He has answered for us. You know, uh, I, I was thinking about it. It's just been on my mind so much this year. I hadn't been back and hadn't really kept in touch with any of my high school friends um, and hadn't probably seen one of my high school friends in, in over 25 years. Maybe I saw one. But earlier, uh, into last year, I lost a, a dear friend. He was actually my next-door neighbor growing up. And uh, so went not only at the funeral, but at the funeral, a few of us decided, hey, we got to get together and uh, just catch up. So we did a few days, uh, a few months, a couple months after his funeral, we got together. And uh, shortly after sitting there, some of these guys I hadn't seen in 25, 30 years, and one of the kids, said, one of the guys says to me, he says, you know what I think of every time I think of you? I said, oh, I know just what you're going to say. Because I remember my senior in high school, you, he said, I just kept thinking that was the coolest thing in the world. And I remember my senior in high school, he walked around and he would tell me that almost every day. And what he was referring to was, uh, uh, we, we had, we, our, our high school did not have a good basketball program. If we, in a year, we were mediocre. That was outstanding and, um, for us. And uh, lo and behold, my senior year, uh, a team that I'd been going to our high school basketball games. I have six older brothers, so I'd probably been going to high school basketball games in our town since I was five years old. And one team that was usually the best team, championship team, uh, our people would come out and pack the gym, even though we were going to get killed, because they just, they just appreciated the other team's talent so much and how they played the game. <laughs> and lo and behold, my, my senior year, um, we, had a, we had a decent team, uh, and the, team, the night we're going to play them at our court, they, uh, they had a couple injuries, and, and uh, just the dominoes fell in line, and uh, we were on pace to beat them. And as we get to the last minute of the game, it was obvious we're going to win. And I go to take a shot. We're definitely out. We're going to win. And this kid just rejects my shot. He slaps and rejects it. You know, it just flies across the gym. You know, one of the most humiliating things you can go through as a basketball player, ball player is to have somebody reject your shot. And, uh, you know, we had, for anybody you know basketball, we had pressed the whole game. So we had, you know, we had spin our guts. I mean, we had ran. And finally, it probably had been 20 years, literally, I'm not exaggerating, that, that, our, that we never beat this team, and we're going to win. And I get my shot rejected last minute, but I'm out of gas. I'm just so tired because we had put everything we had into it. And uh, the kid who, who rejected my shot uh, did everything he could to instigate me in those moments. I'm just, I'm bent over him, and he stands over me. He's having words with me. And then he's, you know, I get up, and, you know, we got another minute to go in the game. Everywhere I would try to walk, he would bump chests with me. And he's doing everything he can to taunt me and mock me and everything. And my friend who's referring to this uh, a few months ago, 
And I remember after this incident, he had the rest of the school year, he would say to me all the time, the rest of my high school senior, he said, that was the coolest thing, man, that was the coolest thing. And what he thought was the coolest thing was for that, that entire minute, last minute of the game where this kid is doing everything he can to, to, to provoke me. He's, when I'm bent over, he's standing over top of me, his sweat's dropping on me, he's in my face, you know, trying to mouth me off. And the entire time, I just kept looking at the scoreboard. And he said, we know, everybody's expecting maybe you're going to respond, you're going to fight. And I just kept looking at the school board. Because we're going to finally. <laughs> and I wasn't going to let anything, I mean anything, rob me of the joy of this moment. They were going to finally beat the team we probably never beat, had never beaten. The crowd is crazy. And, everybody, and this kid's doing everything that instigate me. And I'm just, he said, and you, all you did was just keep looking at the scoreboard. You just kept looking at the scoreboard. He'd, he'd bump your chest and you just kept looking at the scoreboard. You know, he'd stand over top of you. He'd trying to mock you. And you just kept looking at the final score. He said, that was the coolest day. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, I really wasn't trying to be cool. I really wasn't. I just wasn't going to let nothing knock me off the path of joy. Because I knew the final score. And as he's telling me this a few months ago, he said, it was just this coolest thing we got. And I just thought, Lord, just hit me. I said, wow, I just wish I could more consistently transfer that into my Christian walk. Hmm? I mean, I know the final score. The blood of Jesus has given the answer for me. I will stand in the presence of God and hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Nothing, I mean nothing here on this earth. Should I allow rob me? I should talk back to Satan and I try to talk back to him, but I still get knocked off. Nothing you can do, Satan, can rob me of the joy. Because I see the final score. My Savior has paid it all. He's indwelt me that I might walk with him. Oh, that I could not be sidetracked by the mocking and by the instigating of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we just have to learn, if we're going to keep a godly perspective in every circumstances, we've got to learn how to renew our mind on the final score and who and how the victory was won. My good deeds did not win the victory. My title of, as pastor did not win the victory. If Bethany Church succeeds or Bethany Church fails, the joy of the Lord, if I walk in the path and follow him, the joy of the Lord is mine. Colossians 3, you know it. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you've been raised with... I grew up on King James, as some of you all did, so I, my parents learned to... I can only remember... The, you know, as much as I try to memorize scripture today, I, I'm getting old, I can't remember. I, I can only remember the scriptures I learned as a kid, it seems like. I don't want to kick back, so they're all in King James, so... But if then you've been raised with Christ Jesus, set your affections. I love that, that whole King James. Set your affections on things above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Seek those things. For you have died. You died. Your life is hidden in Christ. The final score is sure, buddy. We win. So one, if we're going to be faithful and encouraged and keep a godly focus, we, we, have to, we have to keep our attention on the fact that the answer 
we will answer to God by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. And I, I don't know how to get any more practical than that, man. Because life stinks sometimes. But eternity is real. It's not just a length of time forever. It's real in that the person of eternity has broken through and dwells within us. And that quality of life can be ours now. By faith. Second truth I, I want to focus on quickly is uh, if we're going to stay focused and not lose perspective is we, we need to remember that genuine fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ is essential, is essential. Genuine fellowship. So as we were looking there at verses 1 through 5, you... You, you see where uh, Job answers to the Lord there in verse 1, and he answers to the Lord there in verse 4, and then by the time he gets to verse 5, he says, My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. All the more for you and I who've seen Christ Jesus, right? The Old Testament saints, they, 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 didn't, they didn't see the cross. They didn't see the resurrection at the, at the level of clarity that you and I have. And so we all the more can say, We've heard of you. But more than hearing of you, we have seen God and his finished work in Christ Jesus. But then it's interesting, as he, as he moves into verse 6, therefore I despise, as, as Job repents in verse 6, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And he gets to verse 7. I want to, I want to particularly hone in here on verse 7 and 8 and how many times the Lord calls Job uh, his servant. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourself. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Four times, that's deliberate, the way the... Bible's writer is right. If they put that four times in two verses, he's getting at something. And uh, as much as I've, I've read the book of Job uh, uh, much of my life and aware, it was more, more recently that I was struck by the fact that, in some, that, that as you, if you if I read here through verse 9 and 10, you will see though after Job repents and, and God uh, doesn't heal him until after his three friends who had essentially talked Job down until they're reconciled. Um, Book of Job is, is special. One reason why I've, I've read it so much throughout my life, because my father, who was a pastor, uh, he, he would say to my father had seven sons and three daughters like Job did. And I'm um, the seventh of his sons. And so far back as I remember it goes, I can just remember my dad, all, he often would say, you know, kind of like Harley, you kids have made me just like Job. You know, he would say the time, and uh, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. And then one day, I was in my early teens one day, and I actually overheard my dad talking to his friend kind of lightheartedly uh, in, in that context where he had just said to one of us, something like, yeah, you kids have made me just like Job. And one, that was his tongue-in-cheek way of saying we were making him suffer. But two, he made a comment that something like, yeah, talking to them or listening to them is kind of like listening to Job's friends. You know, that his, uh, his children sometimes talked a lot of folly is what he was 
what he meant by that. And I remember saying to my dad, after that, I said, I kind of said, I said Dad, you know, you always say that. I said, I think I realized that's not, that's not really a compliment all the time, is it? <laughs> he kind of winked at me like, keep it to yourself. Don't tell your brothers and sisters they haven't figured it out yet. But uh, Job's friends here, uh, they've taken on the task. Most of you are familiar with the story here of Job. They've taken him to task. And uh, they all started well. Job himself started well, as, as you know. And by the time of chapter 2, and he loses uh, his family and his health, uh, Job's initial response is, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Bless the name of the Lord. Are we not so supposed to just receive good from the Lord and not adversity? That's where Job starts. These three friends who evidently, as you read the context early on, they, they were people of faith. These were men of faith. And it says they traveled to get to Job. When they saw him, they could not believe what they were looking at. And for the first seven days, they stayed silent. And, and we weep with those who weep. And they were good brothers then. <laughs> uh, but uh, over the course of the month, Job, uh, he never, of course, uh, completely loses his faith, and he brings his, his heart to the Lord, but he, uh, we know that there's a, there's a hint of pride and, and um, uh, sin that God did want to refine in his life. And so God works on him, but his, his three friends, uh, really, as the text here speaks to us, uh, they got off, and God has to rebuke them and rebuke them sharply. But I, what I just want us to glean from that as we, we think about keeping perspective, I think it's very deliberate. I had never really, just in the last couple of years, I, I really caught me that God, if you follow the flow here, when he tells Job's friends, you need to go to Job and have him pray for you as you offer these sacraments. Job has not been healed yet in the text. His body is still afflicted, all indications are. He has not heard, he's not seen the end of, of being completely restored uh, with all of his possessions and all of that. And uh, I, I wonder, I, and I think it's a stretch to think that maybe this was Job's final test, if you will. God was testing him throughout, but this was maybe the final test in a sense that he was going to uh, have to um, be restored in genuine fellowship with his, his brothers here. And I say genuine fellowship in, in that the problem was I don't think there was any legitimate animosity that they had towards Job. It's just that they didn't have truth. Genuine fellowship requires truth, gospel truth. Not just warm fuzzies, not just human logic. And so they were using their human logic, but there, there's no genuine fellowship because they, they didn't have truth. They didn't, they didn't anchor their statements in the truth. And so uh, God has uh, them... As he rebukes them and he corrects them, he says, you got to go to Job. And uh, Job has to, uh, perhaps, uh, there's a sense of which he has to love his enemies. Bless those who persecute you and spitefully use you. Hmm? I don't know about you, that's still a test for me. It's easier to preach that than it is to live it out. Um, but I really believe God wanted the, 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 the brotherhood as well as the sisterhood to to be united here, that Job's final test in a sense and, and display of the gospel here. Uh, but my point in that is, is, is why we need genuine fellowship if we're going to sustain a godly perspective that iron does really sharpen iron. We need our brothers and sisters. 
Where were those who get all head knowledge, and I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here in a certain sense. I mean, you don't know this. But the reality is, God intends for his people to maintain perspective largely through the fellowship of believers anchored in truth. Not just warm fuzzies, not just because that church is cool and they're happening and so forth, but gospel truth, people centered around the gospel. Because I believe as the text is indicating here, look, it's bloody. It sometimes is bloody. They got to go sacrifice bulls and lambs. I remember the first time I visited a country, you know, where, you know, we, we read all this bulls and lambs and so forth being sacrificed in the Bible. But I can still remember the first time I was an adult. I was in my 30s before I visited another country where, where I go to the, when I went to the market where they were fresh meat cut, animals had just been cut in blood stains. When you're buying your meat, there's blood stains on the ground nearby and hot in the sun. And the smell of that, the reality of that. I mean, I go to the meat market, it's nice and cool, everything's packaged, you get a little bit of smell. But I'm like, wow, when you're really around that, day in and day out, that your relationship with God, hmm? and thus your relationship with other we, we have peace with God, and therefore we can have reconciled. It's, it, it, it's bloody. It took not only the sacrifice of Jesus to work in our heart, but it gets messy sometimes. And the easiest thing to do is to corner ourselves off in, the, in, a, in a comfort zone, in a clique, in a, and, and with a group of people who are just like us, where we can just be in our own echo chamber. But thank God for churches like Calvary and Bethany and how the kingdom is much larger than that. But that's easier said than done sometimes. When we really live out the unity of of, of the body of Christ, the, the unity of the kingdom, it can get messy sometimes. But we need that in our personal lives. We need brothers and sisters who we offend and, and, and offend us and not just, just say, well, I'm just going to go on to, go on to find. And I, someone just recently came to my church. They used to be at my church. They went to two or three churches since. And then they came back by and visited and said, well, I'm looking for a church again. because." And as they started telling, I could see they got offended in another church. And I'm like, man, it's easy to do. But let me tell you something. You are missing out on the work of God in your hearts. And you better believe there's going to be tests and trials that come in all of our lives. And one of the ways we know and experience the power of God is by maintaining the right perspective. And I'm sure we just had a testimony time. You have testimonies. I have testimonies how God has worked through his brother. I had all the head knowledge. I've been to seminary and everything else. But it's, it's walking in fellowship experiencing the power and grace of God as his people minister to you and sometimes even correct you. Job screamed he was the innocent sufferer throughout this. Indeed, in comparison to others in his generation, he appeared to be innocent. But in in comparison to an almighty, holy God, he was not as innocent as he thought. Yet he's a picture, he points us to the, the one who truly was the innocent sufferer, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Maintaining a godly perspective in every circumstance. Maintaining a godly perspective in every circumstance. 
by realizing that we will give an answer to God by the blood of Jesus and that God's people need genuine fellowship with one another. Amen. Let me pray with you. Our great and mighty God, we thank you for Jesus this morning. Jesus, we, we thank you that you indeed are the true and living word. I pray right now that you would continue to allow your word to go deeper into our hearts. Transform us. Make us like Christ Jesus. Perhaps even this morning, someone is having their own Job moment, a dark, painful season, and heaven seems silent. I pray, Lord Jesus, you would, you would give them strength and courage and faith in these moments. I pray for those who are trying to walk with people, perhaps, who are really struggling. Maybe they don't see the board in their own eye, and you mean for us to help give perspective to them. I pray you'd give us the wisdom, the grace, the courage. Thank you so much for this church family. I pray that you would continue to, to use and to reveal yourself in each and every individual's heart as well as in this congregation collectively. We commit these things to you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen.